Well, welcome. There's we got a few chairs left. I have some extra ones just in case people kind of start piling in, but it looks like we have a few here. Um, but yeah, first first morning of Sunday school, kicking off for the school season. So welcome to all of you. It's nice to see you. Um, if things start getting crazy and we start getting filled up and people aren't showering regularly, then we'll go into the sanctuary. <laughs> Uh, so things might change throughout the year, but we're just going to start in here for now, and uh, I think this will work. So one thing to note out um, for this series that we're doing is called The Unsaved Christian, and I mentioned earlier that um, this title of an unsaved Christian may stir up some different emotions in you, and that's kind of good. It's it's kind of meant to, to grab the attention of, of its listeners. Like, I don't understand that. What is an unsaved Christian? How, how can that be? Um, you know, biblically, we know that there is no such thing as a Christian who's not saved, but we also know that biblically there's people who claim to know God but aren't saved. Matthew 7 is a great example of that, and we're going to take a deeper dive into that as we go down this study. Uh, one important thing to note, this study is based on this book uh, by Dean and Sarah. So um, I don't want to say the idea is his. He's basically, this is a passion of his ministry. He's a pastor. He pastors a church in Tallahassee, Florida, and he just, this is a, a huge passion of his. Matthew 7 really opened his eyes to this truth of, well, biblically we see people saying, you know, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. Like, I, I know you. And he's saying, no, you don't. And then we see that in Scripture that the demons believe in God even. And we know the demons aren't saved. So he uh, planted a church in the Bible Belt, and he got really familiar with kind of seeing this, I don't know, this, this, crisis, I guess I would call it, of people who say, yeah, no, God and I, we're good. I'm good with God. I'm a Christian. But yet they don't live as if God exists. They don't go to church. They don't do these things. So this is the book. We sell it here at the bookstore. Uh, one thing to note, what this is not, this is not a book study. So we won't be going through like, hey, what do you think of chapter one? What do you think of chapter two? We're going to be pulling a lot of concepts out of the book, but I would still recommend uh, if you want to uh, grab it and read it, still a great read, and we're going to be pulling a lot out of it for this study. I mentioned earlier this study is going to be 15 weeks, so it's going to take us through February. Um, we're going to take our time going through this topic, and the reason why is we're not just going to sit here and, again, the goal is not to just bash you know, people we know or family members we know that don't regularly attend church or they've done this sin or they watched this movie, and so therefore they're not a Christian. That's not what the point of this study is. We're going to do a, a deeper dive in, this, in the uh, sense of what is the biblical gospel. And so that's why we're going to take our time, because not only is it a study of this, this crisis of cultural Christianity in America, but it also is, well, what is, what is the gospel? What is the biblical gospel? What happens? What is regeneration? Right? What, is, what does it mean to be born again? What happens when a Christian is saved? Is there such thing as carnal Christianity? Can a person be saved and live their entire life completely removed from the church and in sin, but still go to heaven? These are, these are big pressing questions. I know this topic of carnal Christianity was a huge topic, I believe back in the 80s. Um, so we're going to be deep diving into the gospel as well as this topic of cultural Christianity. So one important thing to note is that this is shining the light of, of cultural Christianity in America. So I'm going to ask you, why do you think that this area of focus is regional to America specifically? When I say, well, why just American Christianity? What do you think? Lack of persecution. Lack of persecution. Okay. 
What else? What else goes through your mind when we say, hey, you know, we're focusing on American Christianity specifically? We're very consumeristic in our culture. What do you mean by that? Um, mostly individualistic, so I'm here to be served and okay. consumed. So there's a product or a service to meet my specific need in my specific time. So it's like a consuming kind of Christianity of what is it in it? What's in it for me? What What's in it for me? Time? Yep. Okay. There's been a probably 250-year watering down of true Christianity mm. what we have today. I think that's generally known in America as, as Christianity, um, but it's so watered down that it's it's so much different than what actually what the Bible actually uh, lays out as Christianity. Yeah. So over centuries, the Christian message has been watered down. Um, so so that that's interesting. Anyone else have any any other thoughts here? Yeah, Janet. Yeah. interesting point um that's really interesting because it makes me think when we talk about evangelizing you know there, there has to be a need right uh you have to help people identify a need if you go up to someone on the street and say jesus has a great plan for your life and he loves you follow him that's not really helping that individual because you're not setting the stage to let them know that they have a need like jesus is not an option like do you want him or not you need jesus and so janet that makes me uh think too when we're so spoiled in in america and we have all these things that really decreases that that need we don't really hunger we have entertainment at our hands and so that's an interesting perspective there um what i think what i really want to hit on is why we're focusing specifically on american christianity is because church is somewhat easy to do here in america right what what were our founding fathers principles right i mean america was founded on christianity and so you had mentioned like there's been this watering down. Well, that, that you're absolutely right, because that means it started Christian. It started with these values. And yes, it's been watered down, but it's, there's this lingering, lasting effect of people are familiar with Christianity to some sense. Um, Christianity is not taboo here in America, right? It can, it can easily be talked about. It could be uh, aired on TV. We have a lot of Christian radio stations that are allowed to just play songs. I mean, there's movies in our movie theaters that can be showed that are about Jesus and the gospel. Then we have Christianity baked into our history, right? All of our history books. And even though this is rapidly changing before our eyes, I'm sure many of you can remember praying in school, right? If you were in public school, uh, I remember during the, the Gulf War, I think, I don't know, I think it was in third grade. I remember in in the middle of elementary school, we would stand up and sing songs uh, that mentioned God in them. And we would pray as a class for our soldiers that were fighting in this war. Then think about all the churches we have, right? If you consider from Otis Orchards to like Argonne, how many churches are there? Think about Sullivan, right? You just drive down Sullivan. There's a church on, on every corner just about. 
So all this kind of seems like the right ingredients, right? To make up a, a Christian culture, to cultivate Christianity within a community. We have all these great ingredients. We have lots of churches. We have an awareness of God in our culture. You know, we have, you can drive down the street and see billboards that display scripture. We have stores that sell Christian merchandise and decor. You can go get your pillows with scripture on them there. And then when you take out your cash to pay for it, your money mentions God. All right. So God is not hidden in America to some degree. There's when it comes to spirituality, especially there's many people that are like, yeah, I believe in God. And if you're an American who believes in God, well, then you're a Christian. Uh, that's what I personally believe. So I came out of cultural Christianity as well. Uh, believed that because I was an American, I grew up in America. I believed in a God that, that made me Christian. And I don't think that's uh, too rare for many people. So we have a fairly large landscape across America where people are just familiar with Christian things. Um, there's a familiar quote here that's usually related to evangelism. You, you probably have heard it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, what? Use words. So this quote tells us to do two things, essentially, right? What part of this quote is helpful, and what part of this quote could probably use a little work? Yeah, hold on. Helpful is consistently. Unhelpful is skirt the directness of presenting the gospel verbally. Okay. Well, thoughts on this this quote. What are the two things it's 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 basically saying? So preach the preach the gospel. It presumes that there is a gospel, right? Right. This statement presumes that it ought to affect the way you live, and so they shouldn't even have to necessarily verbalize that by the way you live, there should be some radical thing that people see in you that stands apart from the way the world would operate. But I think what's mentioned is missing is that. Uh, what is that thing that makes somebody live radically different, right? Can you ascertain it just by seeing somebody do something different? I mean, we have love one for another, and there's a lot of lack of love in the world. That piques people's curiosity, but like we said, but to what end, right? I mean, what makes a person love somebody like that? Mm -hmm. So there, there does need to be a directness of the gospel. There has to be, you know, this comes at a cost. It came at a cost to somebody, and it comes at a cost to us. And we don't live the life we want to live. We live the life Christ calls us to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Janet. Well, if Jesus is the Word, then the Word not necessarily. I mean, yes, we have to. We have to live. We need. Otherwise, we just live like a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. But if we don't express. Because Romans says that we can see that there's a, a God just by looking at creation. Mm -hmm. But we have, we have to have a special um, understand that special call. And the only way that people are going to um, hear it is to speak. Hmm. We have to speak the words of, of the gospel. Which one do you think is easier to do? Preach the gospel or use words when necessary? Because if, if we're... The, the, one of the problems with this is, is what is the gospel? And I think that in America, we, we have a crisis there, too, of what is the gospel? You, you talked about it being watered down. You're talking about Christianity in general. But the gospel is, is one one big thing. And Dean and Sarah in his book said that churches churches are kind of responsible for this because they can either 
foster cultural Christianity or they can cripple it, right? And our hopes is that we're crippling it, but we're doing that because we're preaching the words of Jesus, the words that are in scriptures. And so it's a lot easier to, to you know, hey, I'm going to bring someone a coffee and just kind of listen to them, hear them out and love them. I'm going to pray for them. That's a lot easier to do in some sense. I know walking through very hard things with people is very difficult, so I'm not discounting that by any means. But sitting somebody down and walking through the gospel where you have to really, you know, open up their heart and start talking about the hard things, sin, hell, judgment, wrath, obedience, um, relinquishing your will and the way you want to live for this, for this God. These are hard things to talk about. And I think that's why it makes it easy to just say, hey, wow, we can preach the gospel with our lives, right? We can just be Jesus to people and that's, that's enough. That's what we need. Someone says they'll believe, they'll follow, and I just made a convert. Now they're going to church, and we're good to go. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 10, 13 through 17, because I think this helps to stress that when you preach the gospel, words are, in fact, necessary. It's not that when words become necessary, but that words are always necessary when we evangelize. Uh, Romans 10, 13 through 17. Romans 10, 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing through what? The word of Christ. We had a, a petting zoo this morning for the kids upstairs. So that's, there's, there's elephants and all kinds of fun stuff up there. So, <laughs> so familiar, familiarity with Christian things, which we, which we just talked about, right? Which America is. There's a lot of familiar, familiarity with Christian things in America. Without a gospel understanding or a conviction actually produces something entirely different than a Christian. That's, a, that's an interesting concept to think about, right? So if, if I am familiar with Christian things, even if I go to church and I'm familiar with prayer and I'm familiar with the songs we sing and the songs on the radio, but I don't have a gospel understanding or conviction, then I am something entirely different than a Christian. And this is what Dean and Sarah in his book brings to kind of the front. And it's interesting to think about. He's basically saying that this is a different gospel we're dealing with. This is not a discipleship issue. It's an evangelism issue. So it's, it's looking at someone who's like, Dave, I believe in God. We're good. God and I are good. I just, church is not for me. It's not my thing. I kind of just do my own thing. But yeah, no, we're good. That is not a discipleship issue. Interesting to think about, right? You, you can't look at that character and say, well, they're just, they just, they're an immature Christian. They just need to be discipled. No, they need to be evangelized. And that is kind of what we're building up in the, in the case for this study, is that this is a whole completely different religion that we're dealing with. Just as you would evangelize and become a missionary to other, you know, to Muslims or some other religions, this would fall right into that category, Right. I mean, Christians travel to the rainforest to bring the gospel to indigenous tribes. 
right? Christians travel to the Middle East to bring the gospel to Muslims. Christians travel to Asia to bring gospels to Hindus and Buddhists. Well, America needs missional Christians to bring the gospel to professing Christians here in America. So this is what I want you to start thinking about and wrapping your head around. It's, it's interesting, and I know it sounds kind of, sounds bad. It probably doesn't land smoothly, but we'll continue to, to dissect this uh, in these coming weeks. Another interesting case for, for saying that America, the gospel needs to be brought to professing Christians, is that, I think it was just a few years ago, maybe a couple years ago, um, roughly 65% of Americans claim to be Christian. Now, I mean, that's over half of our country. And if that, that were the case, then you would think that we would see things a, little, a bit differently, right? But what's also interesting, when you start peeling back these layers, these surveys include things like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, devout Catholics, um, other sects of, of cults that claim to be Christian because they use some form of teaching from Christ. They need to be evangelized. It's not a discipleship issue. So we're in an overlooked mission field. Uh, Dean and Sarah in his book gives this real-life scenario of when he was in seminary with a buddy. They, they, uh, they went, they graduated, and they both split ways. His buddy went to Northern California to a very, very liberal area. And uh, Dean and Sarah went to the Bible Belt. And he explains in his book this great guilt that he felt. He felt he was just kind of like, you know, taking the easy route. Here his buddies going to Northern California, very liberal part uh, where people don't like Christianity. And uh, he's like, I'm going to the Bible Belt where there's already 800 churches down every street. So he explained that to his friend. He kind of confessed his guilt and said, you know, I feel like I'm kind of wimping out here and, and you're going to be the one that needs all the prayer, all the support. So best of luck to you. And his buddy actually said, no, man. You're the one that's going to need the prayer. You're going to the hardest place to be a missionary. And I think this is what kind of turned the light bulb on for Dean as he went down this ministry of, of cultural Christianity. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Dialogue with me on this, this idea of a pastor going to Northern California, you know, majority of liberal people versus a conservative Bible Belt church plant. Well, that's, that, that's the story of a lot of us, right? I grew up in a family that believed in God, and if you asked me when I was in service, what's your religion? And I'd say, Christian. Mm-hmm, sure, yep. And if someone comes and answers, you need to say, no, that guy down the street, you need to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was Military, Catholic, people would say the same thing and I'd blow them off. You know? What are you talking about? And it wasn't until I uh, read a book that put all the things together and an understanding about Christ and his sacrifice that I found it saved and scared me to death. All those years I thought I was a Christian. And where'd you grow up? I grew up in South Texas. Yeah, sure do. <laughs> I could tell by your accent. You know, I, I thought maybe it was England or Texas. I couldn't. <laughs> Figured it was one of those. 
Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I, I think about the two areas, right? Northern California, people might say they hate Christianity, but there's a lot of people walking around putting on that face and being down there. They're hurting and they might come to the church just for something. When they're down in the Bible Belt, they feel comfortable. And even their conservatives, oh, this saves me. You know, I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm good enough. And even on the surface and underneath, they think they're good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about in the book, he talks about, you know, in a secularized society or region, things are pretty black and white. You either are religious or you're not. And think of this in terms of like, could a Muslim, you know, over in the Middle East ride the fence of Christianity like one can do here in America? Probably not. And again, I'm generalizing. Just get used to this for 15 weeks. A lot of the things I say will be generalizing, you know, broad brush here. But no, a Muslim, a devout Muslim in a Muslim society cannot ride the fence and be like, hey, I'm not going to be, you know, here this Sunday. I'm going to actually be going to this Christian church because I'm still kind of just checking them out. Like that doesn't work that way. Well, same could be said, I think, in, in the reason why he's saying, well, I mean, if I plant a church in Northern California, I know that the people coming, they're up against a lot and, and they're pretty serious about it. Where the Bible Belt, you're surrounded by people who are like, I'm good, you know. We don't need this. Let's just keep on having these potlucks and these picnics, and we're, we're good to go. It's almost like you have to, he says, get them lost. You have to unwire, unravel. And it, I was thinking of an illustration uh, with our sound, our sound equipment here in this building. So we, we started out when we, when we built this church. We, we built the sound system. And there were some things built different and that don't work for us today. Well, I had a professional sound company come in last week, and they popped the hood, and they're looking at the way things are done. And it's harder for them to have to figure out what was done first for them to fix it versus as if they came in here with a blank slate, right? Empty building and they ran all the wires themselves. Well, similarly, I think that the same could be said of why it's so difficult to evangelize professing Christians who don't know Jesus. They, they believe in God, but they don't know Jesus because they already think that they're good. You have to unwind that first. And that takes a lot of work. So Christian by culture versus Christian by conviction. I really like how he phrased that Christian by culture versus Christian by conviction. So we're going to talk about Christian culture here for a little bit. Um, Christian Christianity is certainly perceived to have its own culture, right? Um, what are some common things? If you're looking through the lens of society, society, looking at Christians, what do you think are some uh, things that are perceived as Christian culture, whether it's good or bad, not stealing, like morally good, probably. Okay. Yeah. How do you think people on the outside view Christianity, what our culture looks like to them? Mm. Like goody two shoes? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hypocrites, yes. We are very big hypocrites, yes. They do the same thing I do, and I don't go to church and pretend I'm somebody different. 
Yeah. Seth. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep. 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 How do you think, um, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here real quick. How do you think in politics Christianity is viewed? How that's kind of thrown into the Republican sphere of divisive, conservative, stuck in their ways. Yeah, John? I think people like to say that we're uncaring mm-hmm. because, you know, given physical wants of society. Uncaring, okay, yeah, we don't, we don't like in, include the whole group, right? Well, the Bible Belt is known for its cultural Christianity for these very things, right? Because church and Christianity is just something you do. It's not something you are. I mean, think about the people who grew up. Right from the time they were an infant to, to adulthood, they grew up literally in the church. You always did church on Sunday. You were surrounded by a neighborhood. You probably went to church with everybody in your neighborhood. So these values and these norms were just something that you did. It was tradition. And what's interesting is the Bible Belt is known for being thought of as like a huge population of Christians, right? But I was... <laughs> I was looking up some things on people who were not happy about Christianity, especially in the Bible Belt, but they weren't wrong here. And they said the Bible Belt can also, uh, they, they have these stigmas. They're also known as the divorce belt because there's a staggering uh, rate of divorce. They're known as the teen pregnancy belt because there's a staggering rate of teen pregnancies. They're known as, known as the porn belt, specifically the child pornography belt. Um, as they're looking at rates and studies of when Christian conventions come into town in those hotels, the highest rate of ordered pornography in the hotel rooms are when those Christian conventions take place. They're known as the obesity belt, the school dropout belt, highest rates of low education, the homicide belt, highest rates of homicide, and some people call it the carnage corset, which I thought was interesting. So a cultural Christian essentially is a, a nominal believer, right? They, they wear this just kind of as a label. It's something they were brought into. It, it's just a part of them, and they don't know any different. So you see how this starts making sense, and if we're looking at it more as a religion, then it is a discipleship issue. So cultural Christianity is more social than it is spiritual, essentially. So, um, Jack, you want to come on up? I have Jack. He's going to – he grew up in the South as well, and he has some some things I thought would be really helpful to share just on – Seeing tradition, growing up in this culture, and uh, he was kind enough to, to help me out here. Can you preach too? No. Oh. Anyway, Dave asked me to make an outline so I can keep it under five minutes. So. I gave you it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know me. I'm, my name's Jack. I grew up in the South in the Bible Belt, and as a child. We were forced to go to church every Sunday. Whenever the doors were open, we were there. And the problem with that is that everybody went to church in the South. It was a tradition. I mean, they went religiously. And there were churches for everybody, black churches and white churches, because even though God's word says we're supposed to love everybody is equal, that didn't happen. You know, there was segregation even in the churches. And uh, I learned at an early age that uh, church wasn't exactly 
what God had intended to be in the South. Now, growing up in the South, where I grew up, it was in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, so they were out in the woods, and uh, so they had outdoor toilets. So as a child, I would go outside to use the bathroom, and I would see the deacons out there, trunks open, sitting out there, drinking out of canning jars, laughing and smoking, and sometimes they were hugging and kissing on women who I realized were singing in the choir earlier, and all their spouses were inside listening to the pastor preach. And so it was quite a interesting and yet, uh, I should say, it wasn't quite inspiring to me to be a Christian. And so my uncles who were not Christians, and my dad, of course, I mentioned was not a Christian until just before he died, but they would come over to the house on a Saturday, and they'd be laughing and joking with my dad about being at the club on Friday night and seeing the pastors there, you know, drinking, running women, chasing after skirts, and in the South, for you who don't know, running women means pimping. And so then they would laugh and talk, talk about how much fire water the pastor drank the night before so he can come back and belt it out in the church on Sunday to chastise everybody else. And uh, I remember growing up on career days in school. Every year they had a career day to ask kids what they want to be when they grow up. And there were so many guys there who would say, I want to be a pastor because my dad say. If I become a pastor, then I only have to work one day a week. I get paid good, and all the women would love me. And so another perspective, well, I take that back. Uh, while doing this, I realized that uh, being a pastor in the South, people got a lot of clout from the people around them because they saw pastors as a celebrity. And so there were a lot of attraction from the single women who were there, and which was really bad was the fact that these women would end up having babies, sitting in the church with the babies, and the pastors still be preaching, and nobody think anything of it. And so when I was preparing this, uh, we have a friend who came up here from Texas. She's visiting us, and so my wife told me I should ask Christy to. Uh, give me her perspective from the white point of view, since I grew up in a black part of the South, of what it was like. And she's told me that in uh, rural areas of Texas, people actually are sincere about seeking God in the churches. But, I mean, excuse me, in the, in the metropolitan areas, excuse me. But in the rural areas, basically it's still the same as it was when I grew up and what I saw. You know, you didn't know what they really were looking for so yeah, this is the reality, and um, yeah, go ahead, Josh. One of the things in April when I was in Texas for my conference, they said that the hardest part about being in Texas as a Christian was um, for them as churches was that people would because there were so many that people would just go from there be a problem they just move from church to church to church to church, mm -hmm. so no one ever established mm -hmm. in a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is why would they just not stop going to church? Because you can't. If you're not in a church, you're a sinner, right? Like, so you gotta you gotta say you go to a church, and that's what cracks me up about that too. Is 
once you're unhappy about the coffee or, you know, the preaching or whatever, you just go to another church. But why not just stop going to church in general? That's right. Yeah. Football season has started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. They got the little earpieces in on Sunday. Um, or they would change their service for the football game. Right. Well, I was in the Midwest for a while. Okay. And they would change, like if Nebraska was playing, they would change the service. For really? Football game. Yeah, like churches. Football games. Interesting. Yeah, I know uh, growing up as a cultural Christian myself, actually now if I could put words to it, it's helpful. And there may, may be some of you through this study that are like, wow, I have words for that. I was a cultural Christian, you know? That, that, that's kind of uh, the hopes of this as well. But I remember um, when I finally became a Christian at 21, and, and life changed, knew it was real, knew it happened. Um, I remember, you know, my, my heart was just out there for my immediate family. I want to know, well, is all my other family saved? And I remember one thing that drove me crazy was, it was kind of that season where grandma and grandpa were, were slowly passing away. And, uh, and I remember my, my dad had three other sisters, so pretty large family. And I remember asking my dad, hey, dad, is grandpa a Christian? Is he saved? And he'd be like, I think so. And then I would ask my aunt, hey, is grandpa saved? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, you get kind of that. <laughs> Asked my other aunt, hey, is grandpa saved? I think so. And I was just like, man, when I die, I don't want people to be like, hmm, I don't know. You know, I want to be like, absolutely, yeah, he's with Jesus. And then that brings to another interesting thing, these funerals, right, with cultural Christianity. I mean, how many funerals do you go to where it's, hey, they're playing golf with God in the sky. They're with, they're with their wife. They're so happy. They're in a better place. Why? There's no mention of Jesus uh, or any of that. So I hope this really helps to just kind of set the stage. That's all we're doing this morning, just an introduction. We're setting the stage of, of kind of waking us up. We're dipping our toe in the water of, of really how prevalent this is in our society, even in Spokane, right? I mean, we're not just talking about the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt's a great example, but it's here in our backyard as well. Um, so one thing here uh, before we before we we, we stop, um, I mentioned that cultural Christians they need to get lost first. So interact with me. What does that look like? Like what do you what do you think of when you hear that? Yeah. Christ said, "Repent and believe." Same word, repent, to somebody, and they need to know what to repent of. Mm-hmm. Talk about repentance. Maybe walk them through what that looks like. Yeah. You hear about that black backdrop, right? Like the reason why we can see the stars, you know, where do the stars go in the daytime? They don't fly away and then come out at night. They're there, right? But the light conceals them. But when it's dark and they have that, that black backdrop, that's when they're vibrant and bright. And so when it comes to the gospel, and again, this is, this is on pastors and preachers and churches just as much, right? If we're not providing that black backdrop, of sin and the truth of why you have a need and, and not only why you have a need to become a Christian, but even we all know as Christians, it's a daily grind, right? If you don't have that, then you don't have a need. And Jesus becomes, we'll talk about this in further weeks, but Jesus becomes a mascot. Then he does, you know, a savior for you. 
So for the next few weeks, we're going to start dissecting this, this religion. I like to just continue to call it a religion of cultural Christianity to help get it in our minds that this is not a discipleship issue. It's an evangelistic issue. And so next week, Jeff's going to start, we're going to highlight on some of the false gospel uh, that, that cultural Christianity kind of holds on to, right? Everyone is a theologian. Everybody has a theology. Well, cultural Christians have a theology as well. And we're going to start dissecting those. So uh, next week, Jeff is going to talk specifically about the gospel, the false gospel of works. Uh, and then the week after, I'm going to talk about the false, false gospel of morality. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about civic uh, religion. And then this is where we're going to really be looking at America in general as a whole, you know, how we're all Christians here in America. So lots of good stuff coming up here. Uh, again, you guys can get a copy of this book if you want to read through it. I would recommend it, but again, we're not. it's not like a study where we're just going through chapter by chapter, but it will definitely help equip you. Um, I think this could be relevant to many of us, even with family members and things like that. So please be praying for us as we continue to go through this study. Pray for humility and just... Um, Again, going through the gospel is a wonderful thing, and we, we will not and cannot understand it without the Holy Spirit's help. So be praying throughout the weeks for that as well as we dissect the gospel. All right, so thanks for showing up. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for, this just reminds me when I talk about this, of the, the, the biggest thing that's overlooked in the Holy Spirit and what he does and, and his role in salvation and the further we look into this, the more we realize that we had nothing to do with you saving us. That it is a supernatural event, that you are invading our lives. You are coming in and you are cleaning up house. You are changing us, just as your Bible speaks of. And Lord, we just pray that as we leave this, this room from this lesson, God, I pray that we would just marvel at your, your wonderful works, especially the works of the Holy Spirit and salvation. God, we pray that uh, as we continue down the road of this study, that you will help us to become better disciples. We will need courage to do this. We will need to know the gospel to do this. We pray that you will provide these things for us. Uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray for the sermon coming up here shortly and just that uh, you would be glorified in our worship here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.